Rolling. Rolling. Welcome to episode 48 of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley. How are you doing, Brad? I'm good. I, I can't I can't say anything further in an open setting. <laughs> I think you opened the door to more interrogation based on responding that you are good. At anything. How could you possibly argue so that you're good? much read into that statement. <laughs> Oh, I have to what tell does you. What do you mean by good? It was just crazy. I All right. I'm going. Can I go? Go. Okay. Last week, this week, it's been driving me crazy. This, so Comey gets up. We're talking about the hearings, the Russian hearings. Former FBI director James Comey, who to me is an absolute lifetime actor. I don't know what that guy is up to, but he doesn't seem like a cop. He doesn't seem like a lawyer. seems like a bad actor. So he has these hearings and he comes out and he says, I I took memos about what my meetings were with Trump uh, because I thought he might lie. He pulled me close and said, I look forward to working with you. He kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, no, no, I don't know. He's saying all this stuff, just ridiculous, totally unprofessional innuendo, blah, blah, blah. Then this I'm juxtaposing in my mind uh, against the hearing from the day before, which was Dan Coates, who's the director of national intelligence, Rod Rosenstein, who's the deputy attorney general, uh, Andrew McCabe, I think his name is, who is the acting FBI director, and Admiral Rogers, who's the head of the NSA. Now, this is a guy I really should hate. Like, I hate <laughs> the spying and everything. But these guys are all, like, professionally saying we can't answer these questions. Uh, one of the reasons we can't answer this question is that the, you're asking me about communications with the president. And the president has the right to private communications with his staff. And we are not in a position to waive that right. So we cannot start talking to you about that because it waives the privilege of the conversation, which we do not have a right to do. Cannot kind of answer like Sessions said yesterday. Don't steal my punchline. <laughs> oh, is that what you're going so, to? <laughs> so, but last, so last week he said uh, that, so, so he's, the whole, it's two hours, they're just haranguing these guys. And Rogers, Admiral Rogers, starts the conversation and said, nobody ever tried to influence me to, or pressured me to, to influence any kind of investigation. There's just none of that. Uh, I cannot answer any of your specifics, blah, blah, blah. They just ask him for two hours straight. Answer, answer, answer. He's like, no, no, no. To the point where he starts laughing. They're, they're yeah. like laughing. He's like, I can't. Yeah. So Rep King says, you know, you got to answer the question. Why won't you answer the question? It makes no sense. It's not right. You're wrong. And he said, all right, I stand accountable, but I'm not answering the question. So then he says, well, uh, he said, you know, he said for, you know, like I said, a thousand times already, I just uh, can't waive the president's executive privilege. And, the, and King says to him, well, it's my opinion that because you said earlier that you were never pressured that's testimony about a conversation that didn't happen and that waves executive privilege. So you already started testifying and now you have to keep testifying. And it yeah. made me insane because there he said he it was within this same conversation. I think we have a clip of it somewhere. He says, 
you have no good reason not to answer the questions. And Rogers is like, okay, whatever, I give up. And then he said, uh, and then King actually provides the good reason, which is any, any answer you give whatsoever is going to open the door to this privilege, to, to ending this privilege. So uh, Jeff Sessions comes up and yeah, he says, he says all the same thing. And then I think he actually gets into it with King as well. Yeah, King did the same thing during that hearing yesterday, as you described. He did the same thing. Oh, but you opened the door when you answered the previous question. Oh, yeah. He was trying to do the same thing. But here was the beauty part of Jeff Sessions. Now, Sessions is, uh, you know, you're kind of straight up hardcore, right, 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 uh, conservative Republican. He's all about the drug war. I'm sure he wants to, you know, you know he's very loosey-goosey when it comes to bombing other countries, you know, to, to what he interprets as a good reason to bomb other countries. But ever since I heard him uh, read Leon Panetta at the time, the Secretary of Defense, the Riot Act, for using an international standard for bombing Libya instead of going to Congress, he was really defending the Constitution. And I always liked Sessions for that. But, you know, our, he's no libertarian. I'm a libertarian. He is not a libertarian at all. But I'll tell you, he was so formidable in that, in that, in those hearings. Every time I hear him, I mean, he just seems like a professional, straight up dude. I, I, I absolutely, I have to say a guy like him seems to me, I could be wrong. He could be completely snowing me, but he just seems like a professional Senator in good faith. I don't even think he's on the take, even though his actions will lead to a boom for the prison industrial complex. I don't think he's on the take. And when these guys were pulling their shenanigans on him, he was up to the task. I mean, he was really, I thought, took them in hand. Of course, the media doesn't report it that way. That's why you have to sit through the whole grueling three hours. But. You know, but he, I thought he was, I, I mean, I, I want to dislike him because I am not a fan of the drug war. I don't want to grow the prison population. I am not interested in bombing other countries. But I think that he, you know, I always give the benefit of the doubt, or I should say, I give the props to people like Dennis Kucinich, who's as left as you can be. No ideological overlap with him and me, basically. But I think he was sincere and really trying to defend this country until they got to him. But, uh, but I feel that way about Sessions. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think Sessions could get away with more than other people because he has this Southern, you know, they, they played him as Forrest Gump on Saturday Night Live. He comes off as dumb, but he's not. So I think he and can the ears. get away. If he didn't yes. have those huge ears, people would take him a lot more seriously. But that can be his ace in the hole. Being underestimated is a right. weapon. I, I completely agree. I think he is probably underestimated by especially people in the media and is not familiar uh, with his past and his work. He's, he's a smart guy. There's no doubt about that. Um, I don't know if he's in the tank or not. Um. But I did like some of his responses to in, in the hearing. Definitely. Yeah, I've, I've been watching him for years now. And I absolutely cannot, there is no trigger point where I'm like, oh, he said it. It's like Bernie Sanders. 
we have to take care of ISIS. It's like, oh, you're in it. You're in on it. Ted Cruz, the glass needs to, the sand needs to turn to glass. It's like, okay, you're in on it. You know, Iran is, we need to nuke Iran. It's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, I, you know, I had a clip. Sessions, he might say that stuff, but there's no tell. It's all completely consistent with his ideology. He always has answers that are like consistent with somebody who's an honest broker. I don't know. Did you see the part where I think it was the senator from Alabama, maybe? I can't remember his name right now, but hmm. the guy who said the guy who said that it was like they, they would have had to pulled off the biggest caper ever imagined in front of all you know, hundreds oh, of people. Cotton? This. Yes, Cotton. Cotton. And yeah. then Arkansas. and then Sessions. Hello, he what? Oh no. Oh Ar- I think that guy was from Arkansas. Sessions is from Alabama, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. thought of you because Session's response was he was like, it's like through the Yes. It's crazy. I can't hear you. Are you Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? It, it, yes, it yes, cut yes. out for a minute there. Uh so I, I have to say though it's funny about Sessions. I did I so people thought I was hating him, hating on him today because I was tweeting some hilarious separated at births. I mean, he had to, the pictures, I was like, there's one picture of him. If you want to see it, go to at Monica Perez show on Twitter. There's a picture of him and granny from Beverly Hillbillies where, <laughs> I mean, he just looks exactly like her. There was another picture of him from the hearing yesterday. It was like on CNN or whatever. Still where he looked exactly like a meerkat looking around in the desert. <laughs> so I had to, you know, throw out some separated at births. And somebody sent back to me a picture of him, like, but it was an old, a real antique picture, but like photoshopped, or he is a Confederate general. So I, I looked up his, I just was happening to wikiing him or whatever, and his name is Jefferson Beauregard Sessions after Jeff Davis and General Beauregard. I mean, he is <laughs> like he is the remnant of the South. But yeah. I, I have, I really, I hate to say it, I can't find fault with it. So Kamala Harris, who's just was so hamming it up for the cameras, and it just the younger they are, I should say, it's so unpalatable when the younger ones are such jerks like Heinrich and Kamala Harris. I really got in immersed in these. Committees. They praised her. They praised. I know. Harris so then the media, I was like, he took her. He was. They were laughing at her. You know, the chairman he made her stop talking. It was like, and he was not on Sessions' side, but he made her shut up. Sessions made the statement about Rush. He was like, it's a shame that we don't have a little bit better relationship. Yes, that was lovely. Yeah, and she's going, okay, okay. I mean, just trying to cut him off. Oh, yeah. No, she was ridiculous. But, they, you know, uh, there were a few of them that, they, they all had prepared statements. They were trying to be jerks to him, and he just wasn't having it. And he, I mean, he's just so composed. A real, I think that kind of thing, and some radio hosts get it from the same place, is the courtroom experience. I, I didn't look into his background too much. I know he's a lawyer and a U.S. attorney. I don't know if he was really litigating or what, but that composure and ability to kind of, um, confine your answers to that which is acceptable without getting flustered or worrying. I, I just, I thought he came off like a real professional as unlike Comey as you could possibly be. 
You there? Yep. Okay. Yeah, he did get nervous at one point, which understandably, because the last time he answered a question from Al Franken, it was just totally taken out of context, and it was made into a oh, huge yeah. thing. Yes, he was and extremely defensive. Yeah, yeah they're time. trying to catch him in, in, in gotcha questions, so he's trying to qualify his answers, and, and they're trying to race past him so that he can't do that. I mean, what do they expect him to do after what they did to him last time? Yeah, he was rightly defensive, and he actually went through a thorough explanation of that exact thing. He's like, Al Franken uh, just ambushed me with this weird question. I answered it to the best of my ability, and now you guys have me on the hot seat. I'm going to do better this time and explain and qualify every single solitary thing that I say to you. And then he did that. Now, maybe it came off as defensive, but he was truly defensive. Same thing. Yeah, his testimony compared to Comey's the day before, it's just like night and day different. Right, and the other guys were that way too. Comey is the outlier. Comey is the guy who does not come off as a cop, does not come off as a prosecutor, does not come off as a lawyer. He comes off as an actor. As a spook. Yeah, I think spooks are better actors. I mean, they're better actors than actors are because they're does this thing with his face. Yeah, you're right. I I don't like like he. I was thinking about these interactions he was describing with Trump, and and I'm like, you know, he wrote in that in that opening memo that he submitted or the written statement about about how his face didn't move at all. He just gave him this blank expression. He does this thing where he tries to look like he's innocent with his face. But he's, like, trying a little too hard. He really cares about what his face looks like. When I I was watching, like, there's, like, a half an hour before the hearing where you just – it's just people walking around in the room, but it's already being broadcast on CNBC or whatever. And and they showed him sitting there waiting for the cameras to, like, focus on him. And it's like he knows you have to, like, stand on your mark. You know what I mean? Like, he's sitting there deadpan looking at the cameras. It's so so obvious that he is – aware of what it's looking like from the other side of the camera. He is a drama queen. They were right when they described <laughs> Show it. Yeah, it was like that hearing was in honor of him, you know? Yeah, but I, I have to believe, I mean, obviously, we both said before the hearing that it would be absolutely ambiguous in content and yeah. it would give something for both sides to latch onto as vindication yeah definitely and i I think i think the the sessions hearing did the same thing the one of the interesting things that stood out to me about both hearings was that both sessions and comey came to the hearings without documents that they knew people at the hearings were going to ask them to see what sessions documents sessions documents well maybe his not was not quite as obvious. I don't but, think they exist. They were asking him for stuff that didn't exist. That's what it yeah. looked like. That's why it looked like he didn't have it. He, he because said he had he nothing to do did. with it. What? Right. He said that, that he thought they did, like the, the rules that, you know, are governing the reason yeah, You don't believe, it would take the whole room to fill, you'd have to fill up a room with the, the procedures of, you know what I mean? It was, it was right. a messed up question. That was Kamala Harris sounding stupid to the other people in the it's, room because she, yeah, yeah. he was saying like, this is just protocol. What are you stupid? 
She's like, right. so you're saying you don't have it in writing? It's like, it's protocol. You know, it's, it's a common practice. Like, what are you talking about? And then another senator, I think Tom Cotton maybe was, or one of them was saying, this is nuts because Eric Holder was all about, I'm not telling nothing. And he perjured himself and was not punished for it. Yeah, I pulled that clip. And Harris, when she was asking him about that, it, it, it was just funny to me because she wasn't the only one that did this. But she was saying, you knew you were going to be here. The questions were predictable, and you didn't bring any documentation for us to see. And I'm going, where was that question yesterday for Comey when the only reason that hearing yes, happened yes. was because of the yes. memos? Oh, exactly. Now, Comey should have been asked, like, you didn't have the memo. And he's like, well, I gave it to my friend. I mean, that they didn't arrest him on the spot. You know? How absurd that explanation was. Yeah, it was so – that's the thing. It's absurd. So when they were talking to Sessions – he is not absurd. So Comey is absurd and the questioning was absurd. And then it kind of somehow had a logic to it. But when Sessions was there and her absurdity looked absurd, but it doesn't matter. She was supposed to do it for the media and she did yeah. and it worked. But I have to say something about the committees. He, I think it's Burr. I think Burr is the chairman. When he opened it, he said, we are the eyes and ears for the other 85 senators. And I just, I, that just makes me angry because I know this book, I, I think we've talked about it on WSB. I don't know if we've talked about it one-on-one -on -one like this, but the book that you recommended to me, the Harold, Harold Laswell book, National Security and Individual Freedom from 1950, I think it was, where he talks about how to control politics by two things. One is creating subcommittees or committees within the Senate and Congress where uh, so you can divide up all of the issues and, and then have it, them effectively under the control of some tiny hand selected group of people, you know, you can count on to further your policy in that small area. And then the other thing was to, to plant people in the community uh, who, you know, it almost sounded like a town hall kind of thing to have community leaders organizing the way or influencing how people think in the community. So it was a, like a cram down in that way also. So when I see these committees, there's no reason for that. There's no reason for the intel for an intelligence committee. It's 100 senators. It's, it's not 360 million people or however many people are in this country. It's a hundred senators and they should be able to, to, you know, they have staffs. Michelle Obama had a staff of 44 people. <laughs> I'm sure these guys have, if I recall correctly, these guys probably have a staff of 100 people. And and at the very least, they could just rotate. You know, there's 100 guys. Let them start asking questions. Day one, January 1st, and, and the next time you meet, it's the guy who, you know what I mean? Like the batting order, you know, as a new inning starts, yeah. you just go to the next guy. There's, yeah. It's not right. It's an abdication of the other senators. And, it, and nobody realizes it wasn't really part of the American system. It was a creation of Laswell, who was working for like the top 20 CEOs of the country at the time. It what was corporate, the which is, I basis think, interesting. for these hearings? Like, uh, you know, you go to you go to court. If you or I went to court, if we're being charged with something, there has to be. You know, that's to be evidence. There has to be probable cause that we did something. What's the basis for calling one of these hearings? Well, he actually, they said that Sessions asked for it. Yeah. And that was because he was being slandered by right. Comey, which he is. He wanted to defend himself. 
Yeah, and he should. And I just love that he did and all of his answers. I mean, this is what is confusing to me about it. I I feel like everybody else in that administration, including Trump himself, is in the tank for the, the high cabal. Like you look at Cohn and Mnuchin with the finance stuff, the ex the economic stuff, the tax stuff. There it's just it's there's nothing I, I don't see anything <laughs> good or fair about where they're headed with this. It's just cronyism and corporatism and they get you in your face because Trump's whole thing is I'm rich guy. And that's what people love about him. So screw you. I'm, you know, I'm rich guy, but, and like Tillerson is the secretary of state. He was the sitting head of Exxon. You know, the guy who controls how many bombs get dropped on the middle East is the guy who owns the most oil in the world. I mean, it's just <laughs> so obvious. Like it doesn't make sense, but, but, and sessions, is this law and order guy, I, I happen, this is the one thing I'm completely confident in, that the prison industrial complex is a totally corrupt, cronyistic mess, that it's, it's just the guys who run it bribe judges to throw the book at people, and they try, bribe legislators to make mandatory sentencing. So they do that to fill up the prisons and they've been very effective because our prisons are, you know, we have tons and tons of prisoners, the highest in the world by far rate of incarceration, which is crazy because we think we live in the freest society. And then you have a guy like Jeff Sessions come in. Uh, and when you talk about like the law and order stuff, you talk about the immigrants, you talk about the drug trafficking, all that, that is going to fill up the prisons. So, and, and Kate's law, people don't realize, do you know what Kate's law was? Was that the one from San Francisco? Yes, but you know what it actually says? No. It says that illegal immigrants had to go to jail for five years. No, I didn't know that. So if you can get a a uh, a pool of criminals, of, of prisoners, because they're not even, I mean, it depends on how you define criminal, but I, I don't think it just pertains to violent, violent offenders. If you can get this pool of prisoners from outside the country to just fill up the prison. I've never, I have never advocated for illegal immigrants going to jail because I don't want to pay for them. If you have a problem with an immigrant, if an immigrant legal or illegal commits a crime, he should be sent back to his country and never let back. And it's very easy to patrol a border. It's just very easy. This is all nonsense that it's not easy. The drug cartels patrol the border with their rifles from their perches and they just do it. So you can control the border. We need to get those drug cartels in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. I think they probably have close relationships with the, (laughs) I think El Chapo works directly for some of those people. But, uh, but so, so this is about Sessions. So I'm just saying that I thought when Sessions comes in and he's going to just fill up the prisons, keep them private, uh, enforce drug laws, put illegal immigrants in jail. I mean, you got to figure a guy like that is on the take. You know, he's in on it. But I don't think so. I think he was picked because he is that law and order guy. They just found the hawkishest guy they could find. The good old boy from the South. Yes. And so what that means to me is he's legit. He's completely not in on it. I don't, that's why I never liked his politics because I'm, I'm not hawkish like that. I absolutely think that people who commit violent crimes should be expelled from society one way or the other, exile or jail. Absolutely. Violent crimes against people or property. Absolutely. Anything else 
drugs, prostitution, victimless crimes, any of that. No, no, no. So I disagree with him. But I'm just trying to get at, I think he's for real. And he's formidable. And they're really not going to be able to railroad him. So I think they are going to have to get rid of him. He, they, he can start the ball rolling on stuff that's going to fill up the prisons. But I just feel like, I think they might have a fight on their hands with this guy. I think he might be a problem for them. Yeah, and, you know, he was a prosecutor. Comey was a prosecutor. And what, what you had there is we had two former prosecutors who know the law and know how to say, know how, know what to say and what not to say so that they don't implicate themselves. And, and so it was kind of like a, a chess match, so to speak, based on the way they were responding to the questions. And Sessions was definitely straightforward and, and yeah, he wasn't taking any shit. Comey, Comey wasn't getting challenged on anything. Everybody was praising Comey. They went, they went to the same oh, whorehouse. Yes. Comey got, you know, pleasured and Sessions got gang raped. Uh, that's the way <laughs> yes. they it. Oh, that's a very good off-color analogy. But I'll, I'll tell you the difference, in my opinion, is Sessions has to cover his ass like the rest of them. Comey, it seems very clear to me, I could be wrong, but my, I cannot imagine him walking into that without absolute assurance, if not secret immunity from any kind of backlash prosecution. I, my guess is he has yeah. immunity because he was talking like somebody who was not afraid of repercussions. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he said, what did he say at one point? I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but he was talking about when he went to go meet with President Trump. I think it was in January, one of the first times he went to tell him that the media, because they knew the media was going to release this story about the Russian dossier. So he was warning him, giving him a chance to prepare or whatever. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So Comey knew before the media was releasing this story, this story about this ridiculous Russian dossier. So does the media run all their stories by yes, the FBI? I noticed, and that. I noticed that they actually do, I think. Actually. Yeah, or uh, they just have somebody working in the yeah. media, you know, full time, which is probably no, also that. true. But nobody yeah. asked the question about that when he brought that up. Yeah, I think that is common practice, but it did just slide by. I saw that, but I, but I have an idea about Sessions. I think there's a chance. First of all, I think he was totally taken in by Trump and may still be because he he immigration. That's another thing with Sessions. Like he's a big anti-immigration guy. And I, I, I understand the immigration issues. I mean, as a libertarian, I don't think that you can have open borders is not the same thing as no borders. So if you can be an anarcho-capitalist like I am and be a sovereign citizen and I, wanna, I want a five-acre compound and have uh, armed guards on every three feet there, that's my property. That's great. I don't need any national borders under those circumstances. But they don't allow you to do that. They have national borders. And I think, you know, even libertarians have to think of it that way, welfare and all the other implications. But this guy is just a hardcore Sessions, hardcore anti-immigration. And I think he liked Trump for that reason. And he got kind of sucked in. But I wouldn't be surprised if they, if, if he, they made him attorney general just to get him out of the Senate. Yeah, And then they let him go as attorney general, and then he's no longer a problem in the Senate. Because he was the guy who beat the crap out of Leon Panetta for going to the U.N. to bomb Libya instead of going to the Senate or Congress. Yeah, And, and that 
that kind of, and I've always liked or uh, thought, I, you know, I've always given sessions the benefit of the doubt after that. It could have been a show, but he seems to, you know, seems to be consistent and I don't know. So it's possible that in order to get, you know, because those, most of those other senators were obviously just clowns or actors or whatever, you know, Kamala These Harris was people that he worked with for 20 years too. some of them. And they're questioning him know. about they, whether he's like a Russian, you know, some of them were a little bit sheepish. Yeah. You know, Manchin was showing him respect. Burr showed him respect. Warner. Bernie Warner. I cannot stand him. It's so funny. I hate politics. I never followed politics. I never read the newspaper until well after I got my job as a host on WSB. I still could barely bring myself to read the newspaper. I would just have to read topical stuff. They said that the COVID hearing... The Comey hearing cost America $3 billion with all the people that were watching it because so many people watched that hearing. Instead, I, I think, of, instead, of, instead of going to work. They like, took yeah, the day yeah. off. It was a big event. Yeah, that's it crazy. got more ratings in sports that day. I can't remember wow, why. Wow, really? Yeah. Because that is – I had finally – that's when I knew he would be back. That's when I knew they would appoint a special counsel, which – I called the special prosecutor, but I re- once I realized that there was this big hole in the media that the campaign, the election had filled, I knew that that's what this was, that this was just, it, it was just a, a, you know, manufacturing content. It's truly a reality show for profit. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. There's going to be more too. The, the one guy said it. I'll tell you why. Because I used to have to cast around for stories and wait till Friday for a story to come up. And, you know, because I do my show on Saturday and you need to talk about stuff people are interested in. You can't, I could just like make it like a lecture, you know, college lecture, but that's not really the format. The format is people call. And so I would, I would, I sometimes, I would really have to dig into real issues sometimes just to be able to field calls of people who are just getting their information from, you know, kind of the broad brush strokes of cable TV and whatever. I mean, I'm talking about just a few years ago. And now this is when I really noticed what it was. Now I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll just do the circus. Not that I want to. I would rather get to, like last week, I wanted to talk about privatizing air traffic control, which again, as a libertarian, you would think that would be good, except for it's a, it's still a government-run, regulated monopoly. It's not, you know, it's not private. It's privatized. So that's complicated. I wrote an excellent article about that on PropagandaReportDaily.com. But I really wanted to talk about that last week, but who could with the Comey thing? So, I mean, you're not going to get calls on an infrastructure program when Comey called Trump a liar. You're just not going to do it. So I can see that the circus not only provides constant fodder for the media, it's also so completely devoid of content that they that you really lose all connection with the with the realm of of policy, domestic or foreign. Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, it gives both sides what they need to feel even more certain of their position, so it creates more tension. And there is no position. You know what I mean? Russian what? You're all going to do the same thing, which is nationalize the election process, censor the news, propagandize the world. Uh, That's what both sides are doing. There's no issue. There's no policy difference. They all want to bomb Syria. They all want um, some form of Obamacare. It's all the same, yet they're the most divisive they have ever been. 
Yeah, and then you have John McCain, who I have no idea what he's doing in these in these hearings. He he's like he's like he's it's like he's asleep and he's mumbling something as he's waking up <laughs> and he's asking. And it's like Grandpa sitting over on the couch, like just don't yeah. wake him up. Kind don't of, listen yeah. to him. He just but passes gas every once in a while. Like just he's still sleeping. Ignore him. <laughs> he said something. You know, I, I hadn't paid much attention to it. Everybody was making fun of him. Oh yeah, I, I did during... really look at that. Yeah. I watched that whole testimony. Yeah, like, did you see the way that, that <laughs> Comey looked at him towards the end of the question? <laughs> like I mean crazy. he looked like he was like he was really pissed off. Like 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 McCain had Oh, violated the something. Yeah like, yeah, like he had said something he wasn't supposed to say. Like what Trump said to Mika Brzezinski offline on the commercial break. Like, Don't yeah. ask me any hard questions. It's like, what? I told you not to ask me any hard questions. Who do you think you are? I didn't catch that look from Comey. It, it was, a, a, it, it, it. It was a, a look of genuine befuddlement, which to yes. me was the first and only genuine look on Comey's face exactly. that entire time. And, I almost yeah. wonder if his poor acting is a way to kind of get people like me to see a psyop there, you know, to make it obvious. It's so poor, but you know what? I don't think so. That's, that's one layer too far on the onion, in my opinion. I think he might've said something cause he really, it went from befuddlement to he actually looked like he was about to tear up for, for like a second before the camera cut away. He was really irritated. And but right, McCain was, was incoherent. He kept calling him president Comey. Well, maybe he is President Comey for all we know. Maybe that's <laughs> what he was literally confusing, repeatedly confusing Comey and Trump. Yeah, and and he was confusing yesterday also. He, he <laughs> goes, you know, I'll give him credit. He is, you know, he's crazy, and he just wants to. He wakes up wanting to bomb people, but. Everybody asked the exact same question yesterday, over and oh, over yesterday. again. The exact, like, I would watch and think, wait, I already saw this part. How could I have seen this part? And look, like, did this flip, like, did I hit the rewind for a second? No. Yeah. No. Could have been wait. over in 10 minutes. He answered everything in his opening statement. So, All right. I, I want to play you the opening statement. I'll start with Sessions, and we'll, then we'll go to Comey's. And I'm not playing the whole, I'm just playing just a little snippet from it. Here is yeah. Let me state this clearly, colleagues. I have never met with or had any conversation with any Russians or any foreign officials concerning any type of interference with any campaign or election in the United States. Further, I have no knowledge of any such conversations by anyone connected to the Trump campaign. I was your colleague in this body for 20 years, at least some of you, and I participated in the suggestion that I participated in any collusion, that I was aware of any collusion with the Russian government to hurt this country, which I have served with honor for 35 years, or to undermine the integrity of our democratic process is an appalling and detestable lie. Okay, he comes out swinging. He actually tripped yeah. up a little bit and almost. I know, you know that was too bad. I, I actually flagged that as my first clip also from that, from this. Is that his unconscious telling us something? That is what? Is that his unconscious mind telling us that he's guilty of something? No, he was reading it. 
he was reading it, but he, he messed up and he started to say, I participated to say no. that I participated. No. Here's part of Comey's opening statement, which is. <laughs> I'm already feeling slimy. You might like this, this one. I did nothing alone at the FBI. There are no indispensable people at the FBI. <laughs> I added a little music to it. Alex, that's great. Its values and abilities run deep and wide. The FBI will be fine without me. Oh, it's so great. The FBI's mission will be relentlessly pursued by its people, and that mission is to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States. I'm saying Bill Paxton in this room. I will deeply be part of that mission. But this organization and its mission will go on long beyond me and long beyond any particular administration. I have a message before I close for the my former colleagues of the FBI. But at first, I want the American people to know this truth. <laughs> the FBI is honest. The goosebumps. The FBI is strong. Yeah! And the FBI is and always will be independent. <laughs> and now to my former colleagues, if I may. I am so sorry that I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to you properly. It was the honor of my life Why? to be beside you, to be part of the FBI family, and I will miss it for the rest of my life. Thank you for standing watch. Thank you for doing so much good for this country. Do that good as long as ever you can. As long as ever you he can. He always re- puts these weird phrases in that aren't. There's like he's dog. He's he's he, t- he said something about Mueller. He's just instead of saying dog in, he was like he's dog. I remember whatever. It's some crazy weird. I just don't understand why he does he's that. He's trying to be dramatic. He's it's supposed just... to sound like Beaver Cleaver or something. But the FBI. So today was this shooting. In at the congressional baseball game, which we were just talking about, I was absolutely certain that the actual congressman who got shot will come right. through. You know, the first thing everybody says is that they say there's a congressional baseball practice. People who listen to our show would know that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the FBI is in charge of that. So this is going to be a big moment for maybe Andrew McCabe and then he'll although I guess that guy, Ray was uh, tapped to be the head. So I, anyway, I think the FBI is going to feature prominently in, in this story. And I, and of course the shooter's dead. I personally want to go on record for advocating that any criminal, especially one that has been killed in commission of the crime, get a trial, a public open trial, because otherwise people can, you know, Law enforcement or bystanders, or whatever, can kill somebody to cover up the real crime. So if you kill the guy yeah. and another guy gets away, you can just say, "Oh, well, he was the only guy," and because you're too lazy to go catch the other guy or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm just completely sick and tired of them killing people and not having you know, and then you don't have a trial, so you really don't get to know the motives or anything. And I want that to stop. So there should be a trial. That's all. Did you get an A2 at a UPS? Say that again. You cut up a little. There was another shooting today at a UPS in San Francisco. Oh, I did not. And the see shooter that. killed three people, then killed himself. 
I didn't see that, but I did wake up to the news of a so, huge fire see, now, in he, London. Yeah, in a fire yesterday. They always they do these shootings. Like, well, not they. I don't say they do these shootings, but the shooting happened at the baseball practice, and then this other shooting happened in San Francisco. But I think because the shooting happened at the baseball practice, they decided to make the one at the UPS in San Francisco a national story. Whereas if there hadn't been another high-profile right. shooting, it wouldn't. They wouldn't have made it a story. They just wanted to uh, highlight it. I always go on the assumption that nationally televised, like mass shootings are part of the, they, you know, they just, mass shootings went up but like 10 times or whatever under Obama. Like these are false flags. And they, I'm not saying they don't actually happen. I'm just saying they're coordinated and they're planned. I would say 90% of the time, if not a hundred percent of the time, I could be wrong. But well, I anytime I actually dig into what anytime yeah. the official narrative does not hold up. So I stopped doing it and now I'm just, you have to prove it to me. And I also find it impossible to believe that that congressional baseball game is vulnerable to a guy with an AK-47 or AR-15. Well, it, it wasn't the game. It was just practice. Oh, yeah. Okay. So those guys are absolute cowards. Like, the power elite is notoriously cowardly, physically cowardly. And I just don't believe that they are not absolutely covered 100% of the time. And I've been looking for years now at this Secret Service incompetence meme bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up. And I have been waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I just wonder if this is all going to kind of fold in together. And I think it folds in with several other things if you want to hear about it. But you go first. Well, I was just going to say that I do think that some of the shootings are false flags. But well, what I was saying was there's mass shootings that are considered mass shootings or fall into that category that happen on a weekly basis that don't get any news at all. So they have some that, that are already happening. And when they just want to highlight it and make it seem like the problem is worse than it is to, you know, to make a call for regulation or something, they just pluck one out and yeah, decide yeah. to make it the focus of national attention. Yeah. And I think I, that's why this one at UPS. I think, I think that's less I think as time goes by, they rely less and less on actual events. I do not think there are so many of those that they can actually do that. That's why I, I just, unless it's, even when it's a guy shooting his own family, his whole family, like I just, I think that they're, they're more rare than you think. Certainly multiple strangers being shot is extremely rare in reality, in my opinion. Well, if you there's a website that, that documents the reported shootings across the country. I check it out every now and then, and, and not a and week. I mean, how often is it multiple people unknown to the shooter? That's the only thing I'm interested in. Those stats for the past 50 years. Pretty good bit. Well, I'd like to see it. Yeah, I'll I'll put this website in the show notes. It's you know a lot of times it might be at a party or something. You know, 15 people get shot. 15 people shot, you know, three dead, the gunman dead. Not you know, I would just have to look at it from the criteria of what I consider to be. Oh, yeah. You know, and and that's also part of it. That's also part of it. The criteria of the shooter. Yeah, and the, of Mother the Jones, of people and involved. There, there's been some data released. Mother Jones did an article about it. I actually like got an Excel, Excel spreadsheet and did a lot of analysis of it myself. Of the increase, you know, I looked at it from like 10 years or whatever, the increase under Obama and Bush. So I think it went back before 10 years, maybe it was 15 years. And to really dig into the details of like, if it were multiple people unknown to the shooter, it's a little difficult to get that information. And I did not, I 
the conclusion that I drew, they drew, other people drew was that the rate of that went up by like 10 times under Obama. Yeah. The actual rate of it. So, so let's just say the 90% new ones under Obama are false flags. Yeah. I wondered if under Trump they would continue. Uh, and, and it looks like they are. I think they're always going to continue. Another thing on that congressional, do what? They want the guns. It's for gun control, but there's a lot more to it. I think now it folds into a couple of other psyops, which I wrote about. Also, propagandareportdaily.com. I wrote it this morning. I started the article yesterday, and then I think this folded into that. So you you almost predicted it. No, I did not expect this. I did not expect this. Well, this congressional baseball game, too, you know, it's a sensitive situation right now, but it kind of makes you wonder. Congress is already not getting anything done. They spend their days while yeah. everybody else is at work at baseball practice. Yeah. They're like, but it's so nice because it's our one time we get along. It's like, yes, you definitely always get along when there's partying and game playing. Like, that's well known. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's no. So that's what I worry about Jeff Sessions is that they supposedly – I've heard this repeatedly. There's like, I don't know if there's any way to prove it, but I, I think of Epstein like this, Jeffrey Epstein, the underage sex uh, procurer or whatever. And Roy Cohn, that, that part of what they're, I think Jeffrey Epstein was trying to get information from people by using underage sex workers, whatever girls, not, not workers. Oh, that's um, yeah. Yeah. But then there was the Roy Cohn supposedly would get like boys or whatever to seduce important people, maybe even drug them, who knows, and then take pictures of them to blackmail them. So like, I worry about Jeff Sessions, then, you know, like, oh, my husband thought I was absolutely insane. Like this was, it was just a walked away from me at the breakfast table. (laughs) When I said, I thought, uh, I asked him, I was like, how much do you think they'd have to pay the Uber guy? if they fired him versus getting him to resign because they're trying to get him to resign. And he said, no, they can't fire him. They can't because he's the founder and he owns controlling shares. So uh, I have this crazy theory, not crazy theory. I I think there's a 1% chance. So this guy finally did take a leave of absence. They kept trying to get him to do it, trying, 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 doing everything, getting people to hate on him, getting people to quit, all this kind of stuff. And then he finally... Took a leave of absence because his mother was killed and his father was hurt in a boating accident. And I immediately thought if this were a setup, you know, if they were trying to mess with him and he had a wife or children, you know, I would think they would be in danger. So I looked up and he did not have a wife or child. Yeah. So the next closest people were his parents. So, so it was very convenient for this in billions and billions of dollars issue. I think Google is trying to get the, um, software away from him or whatever. I don't know what they're trying to do exactly. Maybe he just pissed them off by standing up to them. I don't know. But it was very helpful to them, this accident. And I, I don't think they did. My husband's like, no way. You're completely wrong. You're crazy. And I'm like, okay, I might be. I might be. And I hope I am. And I'm still only giving it a 1% likelihood. But yeah. a 1% likelihood, you know, that's pretty high. So I just, I, I in my mind, I think they stop at, Nothing basically, and uh, and that's why I think Sessions. I just can't imagine they can have him. 
they have to compromise him one way or another if he if he is what he appears to be, and he appears to be to me a street shooter. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think they. I'm just waiting for pictures. Compromise somebody, or or they, you know, you pictures now. You can just Photoshop them, or yeah, yeah, you can yeah. make something up yeah. about people. Yeah, it's all over it's their head. That the you know people believe this Russia story. I know. There's no evidence. They believe it full heartedly. They're certain and that there's a conclusion. He even believes it. Like that's what a true believer he is. He said, "Yeah, it looks like it because the intelligence community is unanimous in thinking that it happened." But I personally have absolutely no information on it. So he just believes. I just think he's a believer. I could be wrong. If you think I'm wrong, put a comment. Not you, but anybody listening, think some more. Put a comment in. People are going to probably think I'm wrong about the Uber thing. Do you think that there is a greater or less than 1% chance that guy was his mom, his parents were targeted? I think there's less than 1% chance. I would need, I would want to know the facts surrounding the actual voting. Oh yeah. That's what my husband said. He said, so without any evidence, I said, without any evidence, I don't even know the facts. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, this is just wild, unfounded speculation. Based. Was it like Memorial Day when it happened? I don't. I did. I know nothing. I honestly <laughs> know nothing about it whatsoever. Yeah. It's just when I've been following the Uber Uber story closely, so I'm like, they're not going to get rid of this guy. They're not going to get rid of this guy. Why can't they get rid of this guy? Well, he's gone. You know what happened? Oh, horrible accident. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? There he goes. I'm not going to know it. You know, I'm not going to investigate the accident. Um. I guess I could, but I don't want to know the answer to that. Well, boating accidents happen, but it's just – in circumstances, are usually people are drunk on the lake and they're going too fast. You know, stuff After like that. seeing the I-20 chemical spill, there's a videotape of the Atlanta area I-20 chemical spill where a car – I mean, it's clearly a stunt performed by stuntmen. Oh, I agree. That is absurd. It's just a stunt. So – now, you know, now there, I've just, there are too many examples. So I, I just don't even, I'm not investigating it. I yeah. feel a little bad even saying it because it's kind of, it's so dark to say that about the Uber thing. Should I take it back? No, it's out there. Own it. <laughs> okay. All right. I own it. So during uh, the sessions hearing, almost every single one of the, definitely the, the Democrat uh, senators, they're speaking on this assumption that Jeff Sessions just violated his recu- his recusal, and that he he violated his recu- he violated his recusal, and that Trump has admitted, and everybody knows that he's admitted it. He's admitted that he fired Comey because of Russia. He moral yes, what he said. It really irritates me when they quote the media because the media is such a show. Like on the Lester Holt show on NBC at five o'clock on Wednesdays, you know, it's like what? <laughs> they, they in the Senate they quote that their evidence of Trump admitting to this was was what I mean was what he said on Lester Holt because I don't remember him saying. He it was referenced oblique. Russia. Yeah, but he referenced Russia. Yeah. It was oblique. He did not say, I did blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, right. I'm not sure if you were at a court trying somebody for murder and you heard somebody said, you know, 
he had to die. He was screwing everybody's wives. I'm not sure that statement alone would get you the electric chair. Yeah, and he didn't say, I fired him because of Russia. He said, I was thinking yeah, and about we didn't Russia. Hear the whole thing. Like, anyway. And he was prompted with a uh, question. And, was, and that was a highly edited show. Yeah. Highly edited. And Trump, of course, plays along by actually right, doing totally. this stuff. Why would he do that? I don't want to have a press conference at the White House, but I'll go on this clearly hostile person's show without complete control that it should not be edited should have been broadcast live and not edited that's what his condition should have been right so they just started off with that assumption and because uh sessions wouldn't tell them the intimate details of all their conversations with him it was just a hostile attack the entire time i have a clip i have a couple of clips that show how the, how these senators how they started their questioning with with sessions. I would love it if you would also show how the senators started their questioning with Comey. Oh, I do have one I I, ha- I had all of those but I you take your shirt off. Oh, you're yeah. so dreamy. Mr. Comey, uh we never questioned your integrity. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, that's Warner. I think this That's that's Mark Warner's right out of the gate. All right. Here is yeah. Here's here's Mark Warren. Is that one? I want to thank you once again. I want to turn to the vice chairman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, again, Dr. Comey, thank you for your service and uh, your comments. Somebody get him a tissue. Uh, I know that um, even though there are some in the administration who tried to smear your reputation, you had acting director McCabe. In public testimony a few weeks back and in public testimony yesterday reaffirm that the vast majority of the FBI community had great trust in your leadership and obviously uh, trust in your integrity. Okay, Th- that's that's how he started his... Can I tell you how much I hate Mark Warner? Yeah, please. <laughs> I hate him. He's gross. I hate him. So... Sorry. <laughs> I, know that's, I know you told me that Mr. Carter told you never to say anything. <laughs> I was taught that as well. I take it back. I was using it for effect. I don't hate anybody. This guy, uh, I dislike him intensely. In part, I just dislike him. And so I looked into him a little bit. And I do feel like I need to out him, as I did on WSB, that he... I only say that because you might have heard this before if you've listened to the last podcast. But he said, oh, he got rich by buying, by winning lotteries for cellular licenses that the federal government decided it owned, like it owned, it owns everything, like in a, you know, communist country, it owns everything. And it gave away the cellular licenses to just anybody who filled out the form, right? And this guy was in the government and he filled out all the forms and then he turned around and sold them to Nextel for $200 million, something like that. So he is the richest guy. So that's who you're talking about. That's the guy I hate, yeah. Uh, that's the guy who I just like intensely. So this he, is, yes, he's yeah. this richest senator, but he also comes off as a lifetime politician, which he is. And then he started like a VC, like a, an investment company, because he had $200 million, yeah. not the other way around. He's a smug prick. Here, here's he's the, here's the beginning of his questioning to... To Sessions. Sessions, yes. Uh, to your knowledge, have any uh, Department of Justice officials been involved with conversations about any possibility of 
presidential pardons about any of the individuals involved with the Russia investigation? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'm not able to comment on conversations with uh, uh, high officials with in the White House, that would be a violation of the communications uh, rule that I, I have to... Is that, uh, just so I can understand, is the basis of that unwillingness to answer based on executive privilege or what? My, it's a longstanding policy of the Department of Justice not to uh, comment on conversations that the Attorney General has had with the President of the United States uh, for uh, confidential reasons that really are founded in the co-equal branch powers in the Constitution of the United States. But that, so, but just so I'm understanding, does that mean, are you claiming executive privilege here today, sir? I'm not claiming executive privilege because that's the President's power. I don't know if he reacted to Sessions' first answer, but he already knew, like, he was planning on saying that. That was just... Yes, yes. He, he might as well have said it. A lot of that. Thing. I was so disappointed in, like, I think Wyden. Um, oh, yes, I have Wyden's. This is the very first yeah. words Wyden said to Sessions right here. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you for holding this hearing in the open, in full view of the American people where it belongs. I believe the American people have had it with stonewalling. Americans don't want to hear that answers to relevant questions are privileged and off limits, or that they can't be provided in public, or that it would be, quote, inappropriate for witnesses to tell us what they know. We are talking about an attack on our democratic institutions and stonewalling of any kind is unacceptable. I mean, oh, that's, that's, that's the answer in there because he was, he was exasperated. So well, yeah. He, <laughs> it's like, I'm not stonewalling. What are you I'm not stonewalling. Like hearing those two, hearing those two talk to each other. If you have your eyes closed, you think that there's two characters on Sesame street fighting with each other. <laughs> Warner brothers. Yeah. But that was the theme. The theme was he's stonewalling and we're going to drill him on his on why he's stonewalling. Last week, I think it was in the like Admiral Rogers one where they said, I think it was the chairman Burr, if I, my memory serves. He said the public has an absolute right to know about blah, blah, blah. Right. These guys have given no evidence whatsoever. All they are doing is saying the intelligence, commu- the intelligence community has confidence. And there is the, the public knows nothing. The public has been given nothing. There is no absolute right to know because not one, they're like, we want facts and not wild speculation. Well, there has been absolutely no facts whatsoever. And the most you're going to get out of these hearings is hearsay. You know, it does not rise to the level of facts. You know what facts would be? Show me the connection between the thing you said that happened and how you are tracing it to Russia. That's what I want to know. Show me the IP addresses. Show me whatever. Just show me that stuff. And then we can evaluate that. Show it in the raw. If it's an absolute right to know, show me in its raw format so we can evaluate it and analyze it ourselves. And that's what makes it so challenging is maintaining that connection to the 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 core that there are no facts amongst all the distractions, especially when the target audience wants to believe so badly that all of it's true. They are so far removed from the beginning of this, that it has been hardened in them that that this has been proven over and over and over again. And that somehow Trump is preventing anything from happening. It's so circular. You know what I mean? Like it's not even a good, it's, 
it's like a TV show, you know, after it's jumped the shark. Like, there's no plot left. It's just sensationalism. It's just characters coming back, like, with their final scene. You know, they're killing everybody off, like, at the end of Dallas. You know, just, just, it's just nothing. There's no content whatsoever, but the ratings are high because of the emotional, personal drama element of it. Yeah, they... Which the senators are providing. They're they're providing it, and there's and these this is, I mean the comparison is there. Uh, the McCarthyism because these things are keep going on. They're going to like the one guy said. He said one of his like the guy who was talking about how Holder also Holder also didn't give any information, and they had to do he was in contempt of Congress or whatever. At the end of his opening statement to to Sessions, he said every unnamed source gets a hearing at this point. And that's what we're going to. There's going to be more yeah. and more unnamed sources, unbacked information that, that's damning, but there's nothing to prove it that's going to be a congressional hearing. And it's going to be on television, and people are going to think that their views are getting validated, and they're going to feel stronger in their beliefs because of it. Well, the, uh, the McCarthyism comment is interesting to me because a few, I want to say a few months ago, but it might have been more than that. But uh, I don't think it's a whole year. Chuck Schumer leads this. It's basically like the House on American Activities Committee. It's this thing about they analyze Chinese investments for being against American interests. Like they're analyzing the investments they're making in Hollywood. They're, it's just a, like a censorship committee. And it's run by the Democrats. Or certainly Chuck Schumer is, uh, is the big shot there. And this, too, to the extent it's McCarthyism. Like have you, I mean, it's almost literally McCarthyism in that McCarthy was investigating links with the Soviets, which were Russian, uh, in the government. So I, I, I yeah. missed that. I got the Watergate parallel completely. But the McCarthy thing, I wrote articles about it and tweets and stuff last year about McCarthyism is coming back. And this time it's going to be on the left. Yep. This is that. And Watergate, uh, Watergate is also a parallel they're using. It's, I actually think it's 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 cheap. It's like reading modern literature. I was reading. I made this analogy before. I think I have the girl in the drag with the dragon tattoo. I was reading that book. It's a good book. I like thrillers, whatever. And in it, like instead of developing the character, it had her just say something pejorative about George Bush, the American president, which I always think is so funny. Like people get so emotional about our presence. I realize we affect the world, but it was just this throwaway cheap comment. Like anybody who likes Bush is no friend of mine. Something stupid like that. And I compared it with the Graham Greene book, Quiet American. I think if I'm getting those names right, where I would definitely not agree with the ideology, I, I think, but they develop the characters. They develop the theme. They develop an entire book to convey a thought and idea. And then that was back then, decades ago. And now they just kind of reference those feelings and themes and characters that have already been developed, like a character that's just like, a, it's like a, you know, a Pat wrote character. Well, you know, a character type. So they just really cheapen literature that way. And I feel like that's what's happening here. It's like, and the perfect example of that, it's not just the parallels with McCarthy and the parallel with Watergate. But Comey last week, he was referring to, like, everything alluded to 
metaphorically that when Trump said to him, I, I wish I wish you could lay off Flynn, that it was echoing what they said in the Senate later, Henry II talking about Thomas a Beckett saying, who would, who would rid me of this meddlesome priest? You know, that it's yeah. this innuendo that gets people killed. And that's what they were, they were referencing that like pre-packaged archetype in your mind. Right. But they're so freaking lazy about it that, or ham handed that they actually made literal reference to it. You know what I mean? Right. They had to say, in case, in case you're missing it, you know, like there's like an inset, you know, in case you missed what these guys are going for here, you know, like a review of a movie afterwards, Siskel and Ebert are like, oh, did you catch the Henry II reference? They actually had to name it overtly. I mean, all, all sense of nuance is gone. And, and it's, I'm actually thinking of like McCarthy and Watergate uh, as being actual real events. I think Watergate was a coup. And McCarthy was probably set up as well. I think there were deep state operations in there, but the actual thing was unfolding for real. This has no content and just uses these prototypes or yeah. archetypes of, of events, previous scandals or whatever, and, and aren't even like developing them very well. They're just throwing them out there and then actually making reference to the parallel, which I just, I don't know. I'm disappointed at, at how low the bar has gotten for public manipulation. Well, what you just described is, is exactly what Littman, Walter Littman talks about in that book, always mentioned public opinion talks about exploiting the stereotypes that are already constructed in people's minds. Oh, really? Yeah. And then oh, just geez. attaching yeah, you, you, they create the stereotypes, and then they they reference the stereotypes, so they keep people thinking uh, in simple terms. And like you said, remove all nuance because it's easier to get an emotional reaction and compel people to believe something and to take an action directed at some sort of evil or some sort of enemy by creating and exploiting stereotypes. That is so interesting. And you've said that to me before. I mean, I've heard you say that, but I just didn't fully absorb you know, I always find it very interesting, like a real confirmation of like uh, an insight. You know, I always feel like it's yeah. a really good insight. If the insight that you come up with from just raw data, the impression you got, like induction, comes out to be uh, uh, confirmed by, you know, that uh, someone describing it as a stated goal or whatever. Like if you can find then the evidence out there in the world or an experiment or whatever, a theory that fits what you have observed, it's highly validating in my opinion. So for yeah, me, I agree. So, you know, so what you're saying is it's no accident. <laughs> you know, I'm right. Like I'm not, I'm right. But like what I'm observing is what I think it is. Yeah, and exactly. Intentional manipulation, very cheap. I thought they were being lazy though. You're saying it's we who are lazy. They're doing it for us. To yeah. Well, lazy, to let they, us be lazy. This is how they short circuit critical thinking as long as they keep it as long as they oh, use yeah. those stereotypes that automatically trigger a picture an image a feeling in our minds and they and it's an emotionally charged one they're putting us against the enemy which he talks about that also then we're not having to stop and, and dig into the the complexities of the nuance okay. because yeah you're you're really connecting two dots for me that I wrote this article today that I started yesterday, but that the shooting folded into highly recommended it's about vulgarity and violence. I forget the name of that article 
So, but what I was writing was, a hundred years ago, John Dewey basically was the father of modern education, which pulled out from classical education. <clears throat> so classical education was grammar, which is where you memorize stuff. Logic, where you can critically analyze stuff that's good for science. And then rhetoric, where you learn the art of persuasion. It's called the trivium. We've talked about it before. Classical education had all three parts. It was grammar school, middle school, and high school. Now we, John Dewey, got rid of the rhetoric part. So he still wants you to have logical thought because then you can like work computers and stuff, but you can't really integrate it into the bigger picture because you don't understand rhetoric, influence, fallacies, all that civic stuff. And so uh, that was part of what Charlotte Ezerbite and John Taylor Gatto talk about the dumbing down of America, deliberate dumbing down of America. And I've always noticed that as a way to get people to not only be incapable of recognizing that they're being influenced and manipulated with fallacies, but they're also incapable of influencing other people because they don't really uh, get good at rhetoric. So then I saw phase two of this, which just started unfolding one year ago or maybe two years ago. I mean, a hundred years later, maybe this has been something gradual that's been going on, but I'm telling you, I'm seeing it. It's like it just switched on with Trump. It's a major, major element, I think, of his role, not knowingly or whatever, I don't know about that, but his role in the cultural transformation of this country. But it's really in the second step of the dumbing down, which is vulgarizing, animalizing, de-civilizing. It's, it, it is this, I, I noticed it with his kind of language, then Vicente Fox, when he cursed at Trump, used vulgarity towards Trump in, on live TV in February 2016, I started commenting on it. I just wrote this article of all the times I flagged it. Somebody else said, don't forget, like, the Berkeley riots is a part of that. Kathy Griffin's um, severed head is a part of that. The shooting today was probably part of it. I predicted that there would be fisticuffs in legislatures by legislators. And that that did happen in Texas. It happened in the campaign. Jan Fort, or whatever, however you pronounce his name, pushing the journalist. So I'm observing, and it's absolutely, obviously true, they're starting to use more vulgarity. There's silly Senator Gillibrand said the F word a couple of times in her speech and actually stopped to say, I'm told you're a young audience and this is okay. So it was so scripted, so obvious. (laughs) You know, it was really, I. It was planned. Yes. And I use vulgarity up and down, but don't tell me that you are a Senator speaking to a young audience and somebody told you it was okay to tell them to fuck Trump, and that's it's all right for you to say that, that you should have some decorum, you know, <laughs> as I yeah. remember. But this is a podcast that adults pull on purpose knowing the content they're going to get. It's not, I'm not a senator speaking to a group of kids that, you know, maybe it was college kids, the parents pay for college. I don't know. But this whole thing of lowering the level of discourse reminds me of, like, one scene I saw out of the Ukraine parliament where they were fighting each other physically, fistfights. Somebody removed uh, the prime minister, who's just a piece of crap anyway, but the post-coup prime minister, um, Yats, uh, from the podium physically. And, and I realize now that I used to think those people were super passionate about their jobs, and now I realize they are just ridiculously theatrical and don't care at all about the real or could possibly not care at all about the real politics of it. And that's where 
we are headed to get to this point where there's, it's, we're incapable of discourse, that if you do actually try to engage in discourse, someone's going to throw a tomato at your head, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing it folds into is that Trump uh, is using leaks and using his hatred of the media to really put the government, I, I don't think he's even aware of it, but to really put the government in lockdown so that they're not going to communicate, they're not going to be accessible. Um, and I think that, like, the shooting today and, and this vulgarization and making violent, decivilizing us makes us extremists, make them have to protect themselves from us rather than represent us, allows them to censor us, to, to uh, categorize us as extremists in keeping with the, you know, strong cities, international network against local extremism. Um, so I know there's a ton, a ton, a ton there, a lot, a lot, a lot, but I really, it's a very large thing that's happening. And I think it ties into what you're saying about impairing critical thinking. I'm thinking of it as impairing civil discourse. You're saying it go, it, that it's not a function of impaired critical thinking. It's a method to impair critical thinking. No, absolutely. It's yeah. You trigger the stereotypes and you use pugnacity. That, that's the, the main, they, they talk about Littman talks about it. Bernays talks about it. That nothing fuels action more than hate. Nothing. So you divide and conquer, you, you pit two enemies against each other. You get, you make it a simple choice. You, you know, you, you present stereotypes you trigger those stereotypes. People have to take a side because they're emotionally charged up. You make them hate each other, and then you can get them to do whatever you want as long as you trigger yes. mass action. I was listening. I'm really uh, enjoying these podcasts that Tim Kelly and Joe Atwill are doing. I forget what they call it, but you can get through it to Our Interesting Times, which is Tim Kelly's podcast. He said – I was wondering about the uh, if you're famous enough, you can grab chicks by the pussy Trump thing that you thought he released. And I don't know. There's some mystery surrounding that, in my opinion. Like, I didn't know exactly what the psyop was there. But Atwill was saying that they that Trump and Clinton, Hillary, were really the chosen ones, not at all because of what they could offer you but solely because of how much hate they could generate, that they were the most hateable people out there, full stop. And he used as an example the pussy tape as being a way for people to really latch on, you know, people who don't like Trump in the first place, to actually generate genuine hate. And same thing with the spirit. Really grab on to hate. Yes, exactly. So to hang on to, like, the Hillary's... Uh, being associated with Satanism, you know, that is the exact same thing left and right at the exact same time, just to heighten, you know, bring, bring it all to a crescendo. Yeah, that's what they do. Littman talked about how they did that with the, what's what was the, uh, the German leader from world war one, Wilmer. The Kaiser Wilhelm. Yeah. Wilhelm. Yeah. About how they just turned him into this hated figure. And, I, and you know, the easier someone is to hate, yes. the easier that's going to be. Did you read that book I, I sent you? Yeah, that, I that did. The, the English, it was, I, think, I don't know who wrote it, but the, it was actually a lecture transcribed, that the English started these wars and that the Kaiser, I mean, was absolutely did everything he could to yeah. stop the World War One. I. I mean, was absolutely that checks out too. sick about yeah. it. Uh, like yeah. Littman, who is absolutely credible, 
it, it, he talked about the same thing about there how, were references in it. There were direct quotes all over that little lecture. Yeah, how how the Kaiser was not at oh, all what, they, the what they made him out to be, but yeah. because they kept they kept publishing it in the media so often, they kept surrounding people with it. They were driving the hate. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. That's what that's what he became in people's minds. He became this this great evil. That's super tragic, and uh, it reminds me. I don't I don't watch the American version of House of Cards, but I watched numerous times and owned the original British version. And they, uh, there's one of the three parts, you know, it's like a three year miniseries or something called to play the King. And it was about how they set up the King to be, to appear to be someone he absolutely totally wasn't. He wasn't an admirable character in the show, but he was portrayed as someone he wasn't. That's what I worry about for sessions. I mean, I'm really conflicted about sessions because maybe well, you nailed it earlier. What? It's it's difficult because they they portray these people are portrayed as the stereotypes that are that are have already been established in society. And yes, yes, I should dislike him, but he seems like a stand-up guy. I really want you to re, you know, keep your eyes on. I've been keeping my eyes open to him since Leon Panetta was Secretary of Defense. And I really have not found a smoking gun that makes me think that Sessions is is insincere and selling out the country. I don't I'm not his type of political ideologue, but I do think he is sincere and I want let's give it like two more years. <laughs> if he falls down, crashes and burns, or resigns or whatever, it, before he can do any good, I will consider that proof positive that he's the real deal. You really want this for Sessions. You want him to be. Ha ha ha. I'm committed to it. No. It's weird. It, it, oh, I. No, I wanted it for Trump too, but I couldn't see it for Trump. Like there, there was evidence from the first moment. As soon as he launched his campaign, the Kate Steinle PSYOP happened. It was supported by both the government and the media. So I could never, ever latch on to Trump because it was immediately clear that something was up. And I have been looking for that with Sessions. And he's like the only person I, I can look at who's this prominent, who I see none of that. No, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't even change my opinion about the way things work because I'm confident, just like Ron Paul, it's not like me, like myself. I always wonder, like, why am I even on the radio, like the actual radio, if I could do any good and by that, I mean, you know, put any chinks in the armor of the establishment. There's no way. There's, I'm just not. They're not. That wouldn't be there if I could. So I, I, it's not like it gives me hope. I'm just intrigued by it. But I'm curious because he seems like such a, you know, he serves these interests that I can't get behind. Prisons, the military industrial complex. You know, I want somebody to, you know. Slap my face. <laughs> Tell me, I, I'm like, what am I not seeing here? <laughs> See, I think there's probably, I think there's probably some complexity to him where, if we knew, he might not seem seem so much like that. But there's probably also some truth into what you're saying. Is he getting richer by putting people in jail or voting for bombs? I think they're all. probably all getting richer. But Ron Paul was he he was worth three or four million dollars last time I saw his financials, and it was a hundred percent because he bought gold. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a guy who's yeah. living his beliefs, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I have to check out his uh, financial records. Find well, out. Well, then they showed there's an article about it, and I was like, oh, here's the smoking gun. It said Sessions getting rich off private prisons. I was like, wow, wow. All right, here it is. So I read it, and it was like he sold everything he owns except for mutual funds, and there and the mutual funds have some holdings in prison stock. I was yeah. like, what? A mutual fund as there is not one industry that probably is not represented publicly traded industry that's not represented in the Vanguard fund, you know? Yeah. So it, to me, it was like, it was, the, if that was the best they could come up with, I, then I was really like, okay. Well, maybe they're going to let him get a little bit more, more power deeper into Trump's run and we'll start seeing the pictures of him with hookers or children yeah. or whatever. Oh, I'm sure there's going to be like a congressional page or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that must be the first question asked when you go to interview to be a, a congressional page is, are you willing to you see any man on Congress? <laughs> yes. Here's your hidden camera. We'll, we'll page you when it's your turn. But, I, I, but maybe that article was written to convince people like me you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe it was yeah, a whitewash. Yeah. No, that's, I, I think about it that way, too. Like, anytime I, I read something that's, like, really reasonable and makes me – I'm like, that's just – they're just trying yeah, to true. satisfy that. <laughs> so I it's stop crazy. questioning this. It's crazy-making. And the person, Palm, Philosophy of Metrics, wrote an article about it a while ago that, that the internet, the information in the internet is not – the solution, it's the problem. It doesn't get you closer to the answer. It gets you further to the answer by basically, he doesn't use the term, but by haystacking. Right. You know, like if you came across a needle one day, you'd be like, it's a needle. But if there were needles everywhere and there were haystacks everywhere, you you could never find a needle. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, the problem with the premise there is, is the answer. It is... If we've come to the answer, then we've stopped short of finding the answer. I, I think there's always a, a pursuit of the answer of the truth. I don't think – I think that the propagandists, their goal is to make the public believe that they know the answer so that they stop looking at the complexities behind the simple answer or maybe complex answer depending on who the, the target audience is that they've come to because once people believe they know the answer, then – the propagandists can get them to do anything. And how do you think? I think everything how is. How do we fit into that? Like, how do you, where are we? Well, what layer of the onion are we? Are we the tools? Because somebody posted on my, <laughs> he was probably shocked at my answer. We're all, posted, propag we're, we all yeah. disseminate propaganda yeah, without realizing totally. it. And it's just a matter of whether people do it on purpose and whether people question or will like question what they're doing and are willing to say, Oh my gosh, that, that I think that might've been propaganda. I think, I think that's the difference in a show like ours versus, you know, mainstream media is our, our like we strive very hard to, to present, you know, to, to break down, to analyze what we see and to present a logical, more reasonable yeah. approach to it. That doesn't mean somebody's not going to get one by on us every now and then it's impossible. Yeah, but this, this, this comment from this week on my website was interesting. The guy said, are you an NWO, New World Order puppet? Yeah. Uh, are you a relief valve? You know, where people just a relief won't valve? take action. Yeah, people won't take, they listen to you. They think you're on it. 
you know, so they don't have to do anything. Because so I wrote back to him. I was like, I said, maybe, you know, I don't know. I said, well, I'm not a puppet. I did clarify. I'm not a puppet because nobody tells me what to say. And I do my own research. So right. nobody's feeding me stuff. So I'm not, can't possibly be a puppet without my knowledge. But I might be a relief, but I certainly don't think I could possibly be at this. But this this actually gave me a real insight into how it actually works because I I am I have a radio show on like the biggest or whatever talk radio in people's cars, you know, terrestrial radio in a country. It's like number one in the country, something like that. And Obviously, you know, it's owned by a mainstream media company. So why did nobody ever in a million years tell me, except for other people I work with who were worried for me and my job, why doesn't anyone ever tell me what to say or not say if I could really be a threat? And I think the way it has to, I think that they know full well through, like they say in Report from Iron Mountain in the 60s, they use computer modeling to see how little things affect big things. And I think they know that the little guy like me uh, who does not have much of a presence is really not going to make any impact on any policy at all, but will convince people, skeptical people, at least some of them that we still have a free press that people can say whatever, you know what I mean? So they, and I think that that kind of um, independence, that kind of free reign happens like at every level. So I'm way, way down at the bottom, but you could go as far up as Putin, Obama. I think Trump is probably even like below that where yeah. they can have a lot of free reign. And, and at that level, the bigger picture is just, uh, we're okay with war. We're okay with convergence. We're okay with world government. We're okay with all that stuff. As long as we, uh, the hierarchy remains intact, which means we must have, uh, we must have physical and fiscal insecurity. We must not have peace or prosperity. As long as we don't have peace or prosperity, this structure, this paradigm will remain intact. So they can really allow people a lot of latitude at every single level, as long as they there is this pyramid and, and you just stay within your level. Well, yeah, the whole idea of propaganda is to get people to take action on their own without – at least in a democracy – is to get people to take action on their own, to take the action that the yes, propagandist yes, – yes, yes, that a totalitarian yes. would force you to take that the propagandist manipulates you into, into choosing to take on your own. And they have propaganda yeah. directed oh. at, at all – at people who are visceral, at people who want to think things through. The book, uh, Propaganda Formation of Men's Attitudes, talks about that a lot. But one thing that, that you do on your show that most don't do, that they do not like, that is absolutely does fight against the whole propaganda machine, is you encourage people to – you empower them too when you talk to them when you talk to callers to ask questions and to to reason you know through their uh their answers and to look at look at all sides of it and in 1937 i believe is when the institute for propaganda analysis opened up because the public was so they had had it they were tired of being manipulated they had been manipulated into world war one they were disillusioned so out of this like you know decade and a half long uh 
uh, anger of people. They, they were tired of being lied to. This institute emerged, and they started delivering these type of like critical thinking materials all over the country to schools, and they would break down uh, propaganda used in certain media messages. And they would they it was a fundamental part of the education system for a couple of years, and it started raise it it raised the the number of people who were questioning what was going on in World War II. So around 1941, funding gets cut off and, and it gets shut down because it was stirring up too many questions among the population. Interesting. And that, that's, what, that's, that's what anybody can do to help fight against the propaganda machine. That's why, and that's exactly why they keep people emotionally charged because if people are reasoning- the critical and, thinking. Right, All exactly. the way back to the full circle. So yeah. interesting. Yes, yes. Yes, that's so, so interesting. Honestly, because- Yes, I uh, I don't do combat, and and I I was by the same same people who were worried about me because of the stuff I actually said on the air were worried about me because I had no tension with the callers. Yeah, like you can't you can't. That's never going to work. <laughs> My brother told me just the other day. You should. He said. Uh, he said, "What you have a sidekick on your show now." And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, I hope you're mean to him. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? Oh, no. It's not going to work if you're not mean to him. <laughs> so I, I, not being mean to him. That's hilarious. Now, I don't know why I even bother having him then because I was like, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the honest truth. I mean, that's what people come to expect. And I used to get fan mail saying, oh, thank God. It's such a relief you're not combative all the time and i thought wow there's like one person out there who doesn't mind you know but it's true i i I don't know i mean maybe that's part of well see like that's what i wrote in that article i said people were so happy that trump was um vulgar and combative and insulting and bombastic because they were so sick of political correctness but for me i always think like name calling is the opposite of like cogent argument and the people on the right should have been a you know should have been wise to this trap and insisted on a higher level of discourse because these are the people who also come from a religious point of view feel like that uh, the christian heritage should influence policy I, I, and though i'm catholic i'm allowed to use vulgarity i can't cuss or swear but i can use vulgarity well, a lot of people in the religious right who think that that's sinful and they just let their guard down. They gave them a pass on it. Uh, and I, I saw it as a, as a mistake. And now I, when I look back, I see it as a trap. Well, it's about – that's because it, it's hard when you're looking at the left-right when one is, is propagandizing to, to try and, 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 re, and use reason with your side or whoever you're trying to communicate with because it's all about quick mobilization. It's it's about you know generating a mass triggering? of people, yeah. What, the triggering yeah. action, triggering action, yeah. Get like this movement, right. this because the crowds. That book you gave me, like this mass psychology of the crowd or whatever yeah. by Bond or Gustavo Bond, that said, you know, it goes into your lack of critical thinking. That's what I was thinking when you were saying that originally. Is that the best way to do it? According to that, and also the book I gave you, Elias Kinetti, Crowds and Power. It's that the crowds actually create a complete suspension of critical thinking to the point oh, yeah. where you will kill people 
in a mob that you yeah. would never do. And people afterwards are just like, I don't know what happened. You know, like they're shameful. shameful. No, yeah, definitely. And what I was saying was it relates to that is that if you're, it's, it takes a lot longer to sit down and have a, a reasonable discussion and reason through things to come to a decision than it does to just charge people up using base stereotypes and pitting them against an enemy. So even if someone, you know, has a cause that they, they want you to support and they see all this propaganda going around, they're going to get antsy. So they're going to start using it too, because they need to mobilize a big group of people to compete with these other people faster. Yes. Yes. And I've always hated that. I've always, I remember I told somebody um, that I felt like when it was something about, can't remember exactly what it was. It was something about the religious right that was a compromise. I think just because I'm a libertarian, I was saying like at the federal level, you really don't want social legislation. Even if you want it in your community or your state or whatever, you don't, you don't want that. And it started with Reagan where he made that compromise. And then I guess this is where that, that was maybe the first incidents of this thing where people said, well, if he hadn't compromised, he would never have won. And then I think, well, but it's not even worth. So I just hate it when they pivot to the opposition's baser instincts. So maybe a better example is indivisible is trying to be the next tea party. Now the tea party was real and it was principle based and it upsets me, but they, but the indivisible just looks at, the like tactics and manifestations of it and just wants to mimic those for purposes of manipulation. Pure anger is what that whole movie Yeah, and it betrays what they supposedly, you know, what used to unite them was an ideology that would have objected to wars instead right. of pound the table for Russia and you know, bomb Syria because they're friends with Russia, who we hate. You know, it's like, hate what? Can you explain that? Why? Yeah. And the material contradicts, too. It even said, we know you want to put forth progressive ideas, but here, you have to resist anyone that, does, that, that even compromises with Trump whatsoever. Now, mind you, some of Trump's policies are very, you know, very further their interests. They're, you know, they're not Republican policies. But the, yeah, it's just, it's personification, it's hatred, it's a cult of personality and a cult, you know, an anti-cult of personality. Yeah, so, That's so what it saying, is. And, and he's a Democrat. Trump... His infrastructure plan is the only thing he's going to get through. Yeah. And I've said that since the day he got elected. And he talks like a Democrat. He says, we've spent billions of dollars abroad time to break the vacant home, too. It's like, what? (laughs) Like, that doesn't make sense. He just says it like a Republican. I don't even know. I don't even know about that. I mean, you could, if you, if it's one of those things where, like, did Hitler or Churchill say this, you know? Did... Trump or Hillary say it. It, it. Everything from bombing Syria I mean, to, his tone, his attitude. I don't know. He's just reading this stuff at this point, which he does not do well. Well, when he gets up, when he rallies his base, though, he's doing it with that. Uh, yes, yes. That, I take action. I, I get shit done. You yes, know, yes. And, and that's I, a, agree that. I do agree um, And this all this all connects to, yeah, we should wrap it up here in a minute. Uh, this all connects to the digital herd. And we talked about this at the beginning of the year, but the ability to mobilize masses of people on Facebook, get them on, on all social media, to get them in a bubble because all of their friends like the same things and don't challenge anything that they post 
And if someone does challenge something, they all just attack them, kind of like I was attacked when I asked a John Ossoff question. And Facebook literally removed government documents that I posted. That's so crazy. So you posted, people were arguing with you, so you proved it with government documents, and these are government-loving people, and then, yeah. and Facebook took it down because it was too, what? Well, it, it didn't say. It, it doesn't tell well, I didn't. I wasn't even. I was saying I want to see these questions asked. Here's why I want to see these questions <laughs> asked. Because in 2013, John Ossoff's father incorporated the World Investigates and connected it to his United Kingdom-based business. And I want to know what the purpose of that was because I have a few ideas, but I'm willing to, uh, you know, hear other yes. ones. And I, and I linked that right and. Because people asked me for the source to that and the source to these other things. And I said, all right, here's your source. Here's your source. Here's your source. All of them got deleted. <laughs> Somebody wow, that's nuts. them, And Facebook looked at them and said, well, this government document proving what you just said <laughs> is fake news. So we're going to remove it. That's so messed but up. It's the, it's the memory term. hole. It's the memory hole. Yeah. Isn't that what George Orwell in 1984? Isn't the memory oh. hole where they actually take historical documents and yeah. they put it in the memory hole? They do that. They absolutely do that. They try to make the public forget. Oh. They talk about that in, I can't remember what the name of the book is, but they talk about how they needed to make the public forget about World War One, about their about being manipulated. That just makes me One. sick. That literally made my stomach sick. What is wrong well, with these people? <laughs> just they need to stop. They're twisted. They're so twisted. And that's why that's the only, only reservation I have about my own libertarian beliefs. And I, there's no alternative, so I'm not going to change my beliefs. But, well, maybe, I don't know. But uh, is that that 2% of absolute psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever, half of them are non-functional in institutions or on drugs or whatever. The other half of that 2% is running the world and and us yeah. 98% of people you see no matter how good or bad they are no matter how far along on the spectrum of behavior they are are no match whatsoever for that 1% and they will if we had a truly free society they would manage to uh hijack it anyway however that really, in the end, argues for my anarcho-capitalism because it's my view that a seat of power that has legitimacy in the eyes of that 98% will be hijacked by the 1% and it will come prepackaged as power. Whereas if we had a taboo against power, that 1% would really have to work all the time at the con just to get the power you know what I mean? Like it would be yeah. a full-time job just to con us out of. Absolutely, yeah. So that's why I'm an anarcho-capitalist. But it's that it's that one percent of psychopaths that's so outside of our realm of comprehension that we're not guarded against it. And that's why I really don't yeah. want it prepackaged for them. You nailed it right there. You nailed oh, it. Right thank there. you. You got to tell somebody that that person, that politician. You might want to ask yourself if they're lying to you right now. They they cannot fathom it because they wouldn't do it because well, they. On the opposite, though, that's why Sessions is absolutely befuddling me. Like, please, somebody, like, you know, slap me because I've never seen a politician who, once your the scales are away from your eyes, you don't see what they're what they're really there for. And then there's this guy who I totally disagree with. You know, like Dennis Kucinich. I'm like, wow, maybe he's real. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, it happens. It, it everybody has they, these. They have, they have 
policies, and maybe he is. I don't think that I think genuine. I think they have to fight a battle, you know, to, you know, like Ron Paul's had to fight for years to well, get anything done. Well, there's also this. There's also the fact that I am so skeptical that anybody that I can't believe anybody. So Ron Paul, I mean, I really of all these years, I cannot find a hole in his armor at all. But Rand Paul led the charge this morning talking about that shooting and and praised the Capitol Police who's behind some serious false flag events from from the Navy Yard shooting to Miriam Carey. Like the Capitol Police definitely is deep state. And Rand Paul, who I would associate with Ron Paul, you know, so I, I will throw out everybody. Like I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And my level of skepticism, the fact that 98% of those guys in Washington are complete crap, that if there are 2%, it doesn't, they're so tainted by being up there that even me, the uber skeptic, isn't going to recognize them because there's just no way. It's, it's difficult. I agree. I think it's almost it's really challenging to recognize who's going to be genuine and how they're distinguished from somebody who's just really good. Really good. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, we'll continue to try to crack this code uh, probably for the rest of our lives, which I think is the purpose <laughs> of life, is to get 80 years of trying to crack the code and then in the aha moment, you die. Yes, that's it. So you can't share. You better not have that aha moment anytime soon. <laughs> I'm not having it anytime soon. I'm questioning <laughs> who I am. <laughs> I'm not getting closer to the truth. I'm getting like, yeah. uh, that's why I love having a son with Down <laughs> because like he's the only person on earth. I am absolutely positive unless life is my a dream in my head. Like that kid's for real. There's no guile whatsoever. Anybody else? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <sighs> All right. That's it for, uh, is there anything else? No, that's all. All right, that's it for episode 48 of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez signing off. Goodbye, Binkley. See you later. Till next time.